This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis and Hall of Famer Jonathan Mayo. <laughs> Jonathan, so we were we were talking before we started today's podcast, and uh, we're considering trying to lure a Hall of Famer onto the show in the coming weeks, and I questioned whether we'd ever had a Hall of Famer on the show, and Jonathan tooting his own horn, as he's wont to do. Uh, yeah, it's like, but it's like you're driving no, like a no, come on. Toyota Corolla, you know, that's the horn I'm tooting. It's, oh, yes, but I you, am in you these are in, no, I feel you, like we've talked about this once before and, and I, believe it or not, I think, uh, uh, it got brought up on MLB network once as a joke too, but it, it is true. I am in the Southwest Pennsylvania Jewish sports hall of fame. And now I have to question this because what I, is Pittsburgh in Southwest Pennsylvania. Well, that is absolutely true. Okay. I guess I'm thinking about when I drive across the country. Like, uh, but yeah, anyway. Well, we got to get you in the in the Pennsylvania Jewish Hall of Fame now. Yeah, I'm not sure what has to happen there. Is there a, is there one for each quadrant? Yeah, I'll have to do a little more digging uh, on that. My guess is there's probably, you know, Pittsburgh and Philly, and that might be it. Um, uh, a Jewish Sports Hall of Fame in, say, you know, right in – in the smack in the middle of the state, you might have trouble filling the halls there. That's all I'm going to say. I uh, I looked back and it looks like you were inducted along with uh, Barry Berman, David Brin, Cherie Hall, and Beverly Mermelstein. And I saw <laughs> I saw an article. They have photos of everyone accepting their awards, but there is no photo of you. Really? Yeah. That's I'm odd. Questioning whether you're actually a member of this Hall of Fame. I, I, the funny thing is I went on to MC that awards uh, Showing for a year or two after that. There you go. And then COVID. So, uh, (laughs) moving right along, we are uh, on this episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're going to do something I don't think we've ever done before. We are going to go straight mailbag, heavy on the mailbag. Uh, We're going to answer questions from listeners for the duration of the show. Typically, we just wrap up the show by answering a question or two we had a lot of questions um and quite frankly there's not a whole lot going on right now as you may know uh with the state of the game as it is in the uh lockout right now um and that that takes us to our very first question which uh jim jonathan i didn't tell you we're gonna add a question in this opening block but breck Wiedenman asked is there a schedule for the top 100 slash team top 30s etc coming soon is too vague for this prospect junkie this is a question that we get every year um, and the answer to the question is typically more clear cut than it is this year Um, but uh, generally we would have had our top 100 prospects list out already 
And typically we lead up to that top 100 prospects list by putting out the top 10 list by position uh, for, we do one position per day over the course of a couple weeks uh, leading up to the top 100 prospects list. We have a big show on the network. Uh, that would have happened, what, uh, 10 days ago now, back on the 22nd of January. We are in a holding pattern there. We are basically ready to go. Um, and we'll have the top 100 and top 10 lists ready to roll out uh, as soon as the lock lockout is over. And then we will get into the team top 30 prospect lists, uh, which uh, we typically do at the end of February into the beginning of March. And we hope to be able to stick to that timeline uh, pending what happens with the new CBA. So that's a quick rundown of when those lists will be coming. Um, but guys, we saw a, uh, some, uh, our Marlins reporter, Christine DeNicola, uh, tweeted out a uh, photo of Max Meyer on the mound today. It was kind of exciting. Actual baseball going on. Hope springs eternal, something like that. Yeah, you had Juco baseball over the weekend. You could have gotten excited about actual game action where, where score was being kept. But uh, I did. I was very excited. So we have that going too. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it is kind of a little quieter this time of year. But the, the college season's starting in a couple weeks. Um, you know, the Don 40 man guys are working out at complexes like Christina tweeted. Um, so hopefully we'll. We'll get a CBA soon and, and go forward. And uh, once that college season starts, uh, Jim, you'll be right in the thick of it in the first weekend. There are a couple of uh, big college events that are related to MLB with the MLB four uh, out in Arizona and the Dawson classic in new Orleans, Jim, you will be at the MLB four. How, how many times have you, Will this be your second time doing the third? Or? I think I've third. been to all the MLB. I think that this is the third, right? Because we, I, I did Michigan, Vanderbilt. I, we did Vanderbilt, Virginia the first year, Michigan, Vanderbilt the second year. And then there, there was not an MLB four last year amid right. the pandemic. Um, and so this is the third one. So I, I, I will have done all three uh, MLB four tournaments where we're actually broadcasting a double header. Usually we just do the night game on, on the, on the opening day of the season, but we're doing a double header. We will have California versus Houston and then uh, Texas Christian versus San Diego state. What, what stands out to you? Uh, any particular memories of those first two editions that you did? Yeah, it, it's, um, the first one we were kind of hoping we'd get a we, we knew we weren't we were kind of hoping we might see kumar rocker um and the second one we were hoping we might see jack Leiter because they were both freshmen and we didn't but the first one i remember being a blowout maybe the most one-sided game i've ever done by the fifth inning vanderbilt was up by 11 or 12 runs and so we emptied out the notebooks on that one we, we were fortunate we had alumni guests there was a bunch of former virginia and vanderbilt players at the game. I think Tim Corbin's wife had a box and a bunch of the alumni who were in Arizona for summer training came out. Um, and so we spent a full half inning. I don't remember Paven Smith was the, uh, 
was our Virginia guy. And it's like, we weren't letting those guys go. They were like, we were like handcuffing them to the, to the railing and talking to them for a whole half inning. And, and same thing. It was a Vanderbilt relief pitcher, um, Justin Miller, maybe, um, who we talked to. And then the, the cool memory was the second year when, um, you know, Dan O'Dowd, who, who did the game with me and Steven Nelson, obviously very close to Bill Schmidt. They worked together forever in Colorado with the Rockies. Um, Bill was still the scouting director at that time. He hadn't been promoted to, to GM. And anyway, his son was playing for Michigan and hit the game-winning home run in the ninth inning off of uh, Tyler Brown, who was one of the best closers in college baseball, this dramatic home run. And um, so that was pretty cool. It was dramatic home, much more dramatic than our first game. And it was when we interviewed um, uh, Matt Schmidt after the game, he, um, he kept calling Dan Mr. O'Dowd, um, which was great. Um, and, uh, cause he, cause I mean, Dan literally has known Matt Schmidt since he was born. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool. That, that, that was the standout memory of, uh, of the first couple MLB fours. All right. So we will have MLB four and the Dawson classic, uh, games from both of those events on MLB network. Uh, that's a couple weeks away. Um, uh, in addition to our top prospects list, we'll also put out our farm system rankings uh, shortly after we put out those lists, which is another uh, sort of big dot on our timeline when we look at the year ahead every year. Um, And then generally you guys are making plans uh, to head to spring training right about now and always do a a segment on MLB Network's uh, 30 and 30 um, series where you hit a, a spring training each day over the course of 30 days and uh, update the team's fans on their prospects. Uh, Hopefully going to be able to do that as well. Again, all sort of depends on how things pan out, but uh, I know that's something, Jonathan, that you guys always look forward to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, it's fun being able to sort of shine a light on the farm system, uh, you know, to the national TV audience, but it's also, you know, it's great for us, uh, there aren't that many opportunities to get FaceTime with farm directors and, and, and of course the, the prospects themselves. Um, so it, that's usually very productive time. Uh, the hope is that we, uh, are done with the top thirties by the time we, we head down there because that can be a, a little bit of a bear, but we, you know, we get it done. Uh, but yeah, it is, uh, as I look out my window at the snow, I am thinking, wistfully of of making plans to go to florida or arizona and you know we'll see what happens all right guys we are going to take a break and when we return we're going to dig into the mailbag to answer some of our listeners questions that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we are doing a special edition mailbag 
uh, mailbag heavy. We are going to answer questions from the readers. Uh, we should mention that you guys can always send these questions. Typically, we get them via Twitter, where Jim and Jonathan will put out a request for questions. They'll either answer those questions here on the podcast or in the weekly inbox story. So make sure that you're following both Jim and Jonathan on Twitter. Uh, when are we getting you on Twitter, Jason? Well, uh, probably never. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on there. I'm, I'm on there. I'm, I'm, I'm on there on the MLB Pipeline account. You know, I, I get my grimy fingers in there a, a bit. Um, <laughs> and you have your various burner accounts where. Yes, yes, all the ones that people wonder who's behind them in baseball. All those, those are all mine. Um, MLB exec burner, is that you? Exactly. <laughs> Old House Radburn, not me. Um, hey, Jason, I'm sorry. Why, I, I butchered a name in the intro. Jared Miller was the Vanderbilt reliever, not Justin Miller, the former big leaguer. It was Jared Miller, perhaps the most dominant single-season Arizona Fall League relief performance ever in 2016. So that's right. apologies to Jared Miller. And it's funny. I knew, who you, I knew who you were talking about, even though you said the wrong first name. Uh, good talker as well. Am I remembering? That he correctly? was very good. Like <laughs> we kept him on. We might have kept him on for two half innings. We were we were really keeping the guests on in that first game because it was quite the blowout. Okay, so Jim uh, at Jim Callis MLB, your Twitter handle. Jonathan is just at Jonathan Mayo without the MLB. Correct. That is used, correct. Used to be at at Jonathan Mayo B three. That is back in, also back true. In the day which stood for. Uh, B three. I, I believe that was big, bald, and beautiful. If I'm Is not this mistaken. like the embarrassed Jonathan Mayo episode? <laughs> that was your Twitter handle. It yeah, was. Nope. As bad when we Twitter had blogs, handle. that's what I had called my blog. That's right. All right. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to divvy this up a bit uh, into a couple categories. We have a handful of questions that are sort of general in nature uh, and span across various teams. And then we have some more club-specific questions, which we'll answer in our second segment of the mailbag. Uh, so let's start off here in part one with a question from Jake Hobrock, uh, whose Twitter handle is simply at Jake Hobrock. If you had to rank the top five shortstop prospect ceilings from the pool of 2020 international, 2021, and 2022 draft pools, what would they be and why? All right, so... We are comparing 2020 international signees and 2021 and 22 draft picks. So what what is that pool, uh, generally speaking? What is that pool of players? Um, well, I mean, so the you know obviously the 2020 international and 2021 draft guys are already in the pro game, and then we're looking ahead at the 2022 draft class and I'm going to sort of put a pin in that part because I can tell you that my top five there isn't any there isn't anybody from the 2022 draft class that I would include uh Tamar Johnson plays shortstop in high school but almost everybody thinks he's going to play second base uh, at the next level so I, I'm not counting him and then the next best player would be Brooks Lee from the 2022 draft class um and while I think he's very, very good, if we're looking just at high ceiling, 
he wouldn't he wouldn't make the list either. So uh, there's a group of like four or five shortstops in both the 2020 international and 2021 draft pools to 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 pull from. I would say. Okay, so those are the players that we're dealing with, and now, how do you rank them? All right. So again, emphasizing just ceiling, you know, and when we do our rankings, you know, we kind of try to find a, you know, a middle ground. We're not just ranking it solely based on ceiling. You know, what's the probability of them reaching their ceiling? Are there players with really high floors that, you know, might end up being, you know, there's a better chance that they end up being big leaguers. So just looking at ceilings, uh, I went in this order. I put Christian Hernandez uh, from the international class With at the, the top. Yep. Um, I went, and then the the rest of my list are 2021 draft guys, and maybe that shows a little bias for me. But I went Khalil Watson, Marcelo Mayer, Jordan Lawler, Brady House. All right. So one from the 2020 international class mm-hmm. is. Christian Hernandez, who back when we put out our top 30 international prospects list, he was the fourth shortstop on the list behind Wilman Diaz, Carlos Colmenares, and Armando Cruz. Um, so Hernandez, 18 years old now. Um, and when you look at that 2021 draft class, three of the top four in our top 200 draft prospects list that year were shortstops, all of whom uh, get the nod for you in your top five ranking. Khalil Watson, 18 years old, Jordan, Jordan Lawler, and Marcelo Meyer, both 19 years old. And then uh, Brady House was number eight on that list, uh, also 18 years old. Jim, any uh, any quibbles with this list? You have the Would you have the same five players, anyone different on your list, different order? What's your take on, on Jonathan's take here? It was very similar. I also had Christian Hernandez number one because I think he has the best combination of physicality, power, and speed of any of these guys, and I do think he'll stay at shortstop. I went back and forth. I initially had Cleo Watson two and Marcelo Meyer three, and I flipped them. I do think Marcelo Meyer has the highest floor of anybody on this list, but I went ahead and put Meyer ahead of Watson. Watson is definitely faster. He might be two grades or, or close to two grades faster than Meyer. But, you know, we're talking about ceiling. I think Meyer's the best hitter in this group, and I think he's the best defender in the group, and I think that gives him pretty good ceiling. But I, I kind of – that that was the toughest part for me was who should be two, who should be three. Yeah. I did have Jordan Lawler number four um, on there. Um, and then I went I went, I went, went Carlos Colmenares of the, of the Rays – number five. It's interesting because if you look at the grades we have on these guys, they're all pretty similar. We have a lot of 55s and 60s on these guys. And I kind of justified leaving Brady House and Brooks Lee off in that I think they're less certain to stay at shortstop, which by nature would affect their ceiling. Um, But so that's the order I had it in. We lined it. I I think we lined them. Well, we we obviously lined them up very similarly. Now, is this kind of a sneak peek at uh, a big leap on the top 100 prospects list that's coming up or is it more uh more uh, emblematic of just what the ceiling is for hernandez i think it's the latter 
Yeah, um, I agree. We really like Christian Hernandez, but he's proven. I mean, he's only played in the DSL. He hasn't, you know, proven himself against. You, I mean, I know that some of these guys didn't play a lot. The high school kids last year in, in pro ball, but they've proven themselves on the showcase circuit against top competition and seen against top players a lot more. So while I think Hernandez has a higher ceiling than Meyer or Cleo Watson or Jordan Lawler, he also comes with a ton more risk than those guys do. Okay. Our second question ties into that first question. And this one comes from Matt Cedarholm, Twitter handle at the big hurt HQ. Who has the higher ceiling and higher floor between Khalil Watson and Jordan Lawler? I'll go first on that one. And it's, it's, you know, it, it, they're pretty similar guys. I mean, based on our answer to the last question, we both had Khalil Watson ahead of Jordan Lawler. Um, and then I'd, on floor, I'd say Jordan Lawler has a higher floor than Khalil Watson, just from the standpoint of I think there's a little bit more comfort with him. He established himself as a top, top prospect. There's more track record of that with him compared to Khalil Watson. But, you know, I, you know, just, you know, if you compare them tools, I think they're comparable hitters comparable power above average in both categories, solid shortstops. Khalil Watson is a little bit faster, which is why I guess I would give him the higher ceiling. And I think Jordan Lawler's arm is maybe a little bit stronger than Khalil Watson's, but they're, they're very, very similar players. So you're really splitting hairs there. I think. No, I, I, I think that's right. And, you know, based on how we answered the first question, uh, you know, I had Watson two ahead of Lawler and Jim had that flip that I don't know that they're, you know, the, the three shortstops from the 2021 draft class, there's not all that much separating all three of them. Uh, I would put Watson ahead of Lawler and maybe it's, maybe it's the speed like the, and that's the, that, that notch up in athleticism gives him a, a slight edge, but I don't think there is that much difference with them. I do agree. I think Lawler does have a higher floor. Uh, I think there's, you know, uh, there's no certainty, obviously this, you know, these are all guys who are just getting started, um, you know, and health will come into play, but if everybody's healthy, uh, you know, I think Lawler's, you know, stuff is going to play. Uh, there's more certainty of it, at least at this point. This is a, Fun bunch of shortstop prospects, for sure. Um, all right, next question. Uh, does not specifically relate to shortstop prospects, but I'm guessing maybe there are some in play here. This question comes from M. Her at Matt Her 7 In your best guess, who will be the top three prospects in the top 100 in 2023-2024? Um, now... Jim, I know you've done some a bit of research on this already because we've talked about a uh, story looking ahead at exactly the well, not exactly this, but a little bit more expanded, who the top 10 prospects would be a year from now. And Jonathan, I know that both of you have done a little bit of research on this in terms of the 2024 half of this question, because just last week we did uh, a story looking ahead at one prospect for each team that would be making a lot of buzz in 2024. Although with that one, we restricted you to players who are not currently on the top 100. So right. we were looking for guys that would be jumping on. And, and I get, I think that would probably be too big of a leap to go from not being on at all this year to being on in a, a top three in 2024. 
Uh, but let's start with 2023. Top three prospects in 2023 will be. Um, all right, I, I'll go first, and I have them lined up in this order. We have a little bit of a shortstop theme. I'm going to say that the number one prospect at the start of the 2023 season will be Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, uh, followed by a catcher. I'm going to have Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, and then Noel V. Marte, the shortstop for the Mariners. That's my top three for 2023. Yeah, you know, I think we should say that when you're looking ahead, you're trying to figure out who's going to have graduated by then, right. will no longer be prospects. And doing so now is, uh, you know, you're having to go pretty pretty far down the list. Uh, you name guys who are currently uh, Volpe number 15 overall right now, Alvarez number 10, Marte number 11. So only one player from the top 10 currently, but so many of these players are slated to graduate from prospect status, rookie status uh, within the next year. So having to go fairly deep now, Jim, your top three for 2023. I had virtually the same top three. I went Anthony Volpe, number one, Francisco Alvarez, number two. And I was really torn. And I went with Marco Luciano ahead of Noel V. Marte at number three, but it was it was very, very slim. So essentially the same list as, as Jonathan. All right. So we are talking again about uh, some of those same shortstops and then some shortstops not from the classes that we uh, talked about with the previous and the answers to the previous questions. But yeah, I guess Luciano and uh, uh, Marte, kind of an interesting comparison there, Jim, because on the existing top 100 prospects list from 2021, which of course is sort of what remains at the end of the season that was based on the mid-season ranking um, in, in August. Um, but Luciano, number five on that list, Marte, number 11. Uh, anything in particular that that has you going with Marte or with uh, Luciano over Marte there? I just like the bat a little bit more. I, I don't know that either one of them stays at shortstop in the long run. And so I went with the guy whose bat I like a little bit more. Okay. So now looking a little further ahead to 2024, first of all, do all these guys come off or any of these guys on the 2024 list? It looks like based on our projected ETAs, we have, Volpe graduating in 2023, uh, Marte 2023, Alvarez 2023, Luciano 2023. So I guess all these guys are off. I don't have any of them on my 2024 top three, if that okay. answers your question. All right. Well, let's hear let's hear your 2024 top three. Okay. Um, well, some of these are going to sound familiar, uh, uh, hearkening back to the shortstop question earlier, but... Uh, in fact, I have Marcelo Meyer at number one, followed by Christian Hernandez, trying to find that balance between floor and ceiling. Hernandez does have the higher ceiling. Uh, Meyer has a, a higher floor, so that's why I put him ahead. And then I kind of I decided to roll the dice and throw a little bit of a, a wild card in there, and I, I put Zach Veen as my number three um, prospect. Uh, you know, I think the 
the bat really showed up, uh, you know, and that's what's going to, and he can run. I think there's going to be a lot more power to come, you know, and I, so I think that sort of in a Julio Rodriguez kind of mold in terms of what he can do offensively and impact the game, I decided to sort of go a little, not too far off the board. Cause obviously Zach Fien is a top 100 guy and a high first round pick, but, uh, he was my number three. All right. So g- give me those again, real quick, Jonathan. Marcelo Mayer, Christian Hernandez of the Cubs, Marcelo yeah. Mayer of the Red Sox, Zach Veen of the Colorado Rockies. Okay. And Jim, what do you see? Yeah, I, I, I agree with the number one guy. I went with Marcelo Mayer. I, I just keep coming back to the fact that when we surveyed scouts last year, he was the consensus best hitter and best defender in the 2020 draft, um, which is pretty good, right? Like, uh, good so I, I like that combination. So I went him one, and then I went, I, I went totally off the top 100 board, and I went oh, Drew man. Jones number two and Termar Johnson number three. I decided wow. to go be bold with the 2022 draft guys, and you know we talked about them a couple podcasts ago when we revealed the draft top 100. And I mean, Drew Jones, it, you know, basically looks like when you see him and sounds like when you talk to scouts about him, uh, he looks like his dad did at the, at the same age. Um, you know, he's got a chance to, you know, be, you know, sixes across the board, sixes and better. I mean, he might be a 60 hitter with 60 power and well above average runner, thrower, defender in center field. So he's pretty exciting. And then Termar Johnson, we've discussed, and you guys had him on the podcast um, when I was on vacation. Like he might be the best high school hitter in decades, the best pure hitter. You know, I, I think he winds up at second base, but I mean, we could be talking about, you know, batting champion with 30 homer power. And, you know, it's, Jonathan and I always talk about how we don't like to force comps, but when we get a good comp, we, we, we like the comp. And, and last year, Jonathan, I took and ran with, with your Marcelo Meyer comp, which was what I think was it Corey Seager bat and and Brandon, uh, Brandon Crawford, Crawford glove, yes. and I was like, and like I've it's used that player. a trillion times. And on Termar Johnson, I got a comparison from a scout who gave him the double Hall of Fame comp by calling him a combination of Wade Boggs's plate discipline and Vladimir Guerrero Senior's bat to ball skills. That's pretty good too. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll go with the 2022 draftees coming in right behind Marcelo Meyer. I like, um, I like that. that no, so, I, but, I think that's pretty good. You know, if you told me that by 2024, Tamar Johnson has an 80 hit tool, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think that that's out of the, out of the question. No, not at all. Which would be assuming there's not one between now and then would be the third one that, that we'd ever given out behind Vlad Jr. And Wander Franco. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. All right. Uh, well, it wouldn't be a mailbag. We could. We, there's no way we could do an entire mailbag episode without including a question from our near weekly contributor, Stephen D'Alessio. Stevie D. Uh, at, at Stevie D. A L E S ninety seven on Twitter. He says, aside from Josh Young, which prospects do you see making their debut this season? Uh, we talked about this a little bit uh, before recording and uh there are just a ton of guys first of all uh a ton of really elite prospects top 10 type of guys uh 
Um, so answering that, answering this question, there are some, some obvious guys, uh, but then we'll dig into some not so obvious guys as well. But to start guys, eight of the top nine players on the existing top 100 prospects list. Um, wait a second. Is it eight out of nine, seven out of eight, um, are projected to graduate this year. I'd, I'd love to go arrive back. this year. We're not necessarily saying yeah, sorry. Yeah. It, arrive this year. Correct. Correct. I'd, I'd love to look back and see uh, previous lists, whether this is unprecedented. It, it, it seems like we couldn't have had too many lists where that many of the players at the very top are big league ready. Yeah. And I mean, so, I mean, the obvious names to just cross off, you know, if you look at our, our list from end of 2021, Adelie Rutschman, Orioles catcher, Julio Rodriguez, Mariners outfielder, Bobby Wood Jr., Royals shortstop, the Tigers dynamic duo, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. You've got Grayson Rodriguez, who's the best pitching prospect in baseball. You know, C.J. Abrams, who, who was hurt for much of last year with the Padres. So I think all those guys are, are kind of obvious ones we're looking forward to. Um, I'll give a little sneak preview. Um, he's not this high on that list, but he's in the top. He's in the top 10 of the, of the upcoming list whenever that comes out. Gabriel Moreno, who we saw tear up the Arizona Fall League, is, is another obvious guy. So I think those are the obvious ones. But, but Jonathan, when I looked at this question, so we, we knew those names were there. I, I was trying to look at, at some, some less obvious guys who I thought were, were super interesting that I was looking forward to. I know coming out of the Fall League, um, I think two guys we saw play really well in the Fall League were Nick Gonzalez, Pirates second baseman, and Bryson Stott, Philly shortstop, who are on the same team. I, I think they're, they're both going to come up and make an impact this year. And then guys who might be more toward the end of a top 100 prospects list. I'm interested in seeing what guys like Matt Brash with the Mariners, who has just a, a wipeout breaking ball, or, or Jose Miranda um, with the Twins, who had a, a tremendous year in mostly in, in split between double A AA and triple A last year. Um, th- those are, are kind of, I mean, they're not sleepers per se, but they're, right. they're top prospects who aren't top, top, top prospects who I think could, could break through and, and we could see them in the big leagues this year. I had Stott on my list for sure. You know, Gonzalez, I could easily see hitting his way there. I, I only pause because he hasn't played above a ball yet now. He could go to double A and hit 390 or whatever, you know, and, 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 and put up the kind of numbers he did late in the year once he was healthy last year and then in the fall league. And then it'll be double A, triple A, and, and they'll find a way to get his bat into, into the lineup. Uh, so I, I think you're probably right, but I, I didn't have him initially on the list. I did have Miranda uh, on my list as well with the Twins. Uh, the question will be is where, because there's some defensive questions he played, but he is capable of playing maybe three different spots. Honestly, if you were a little more athletic, you probably put him in the outfield. The other guys that I had, um, one is Hunter green, the reds. I think everyone's excited to see him. And then, uh, and then the other guys that I thought would be interesting, uh, sticking with right-handers is George Kirby of the Mariners who has a very exciting combination of stuff that just keeps getting better and ridiculous command that he had, you know, ever since coming out of Elon university, 
Uh, this is a guy who didn't walk anybody in college and now is touching triple digits with his fastball. So uh, I think he's going to impact uh, the the Mariners staff along with Matt, Matt Brash, who technically got called up but didn't pitch last year. And then Shea Langoliers is another guy that I think uh, could – make it up to to the big leagues the the Braves catcher had a had a good year in double a finished in triple a spent all of the postseason on the Braves taxi squad and had there been an injury to one of the Braves catchers he would have been brought in that's how comfortable they felt with his defense you know the power is there kept them from going to the fall league uh but so I think that he's there knocking on the door as well Looking back at those top 10 guys, uh, just wild to me that so many of them are right there, ready, big league ready, but we haven't seen any of them yet. I I feel like, you know, typically there will be some guys up there that, you know, are big league ready. And we saw them at the end of the year, previous year, but all these guys we're talking about, not only are they expected to arrive uh, this year, but uh, didn't even get a, a taste um, at the end of last year. So well, a lot of them aren't even on the roster yet. I mean, that's, you know, some of them are, but like, you know, you look at uh, Rushman and Witt, they're not on, they're not on the roster. Um, you know, yeah, so, most, of, most so that, of them are not. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the fact that, um, you know, the fact that September call-ups aren't what they used to be. Um, I'm not, I don't know if any of those guys would have gotten called up in, in under the old system. Uh, but you know, that, that could come into play a little bit. Okay. Uh, one more question, uh, before we take a break and then turn our attention to some club specific questions, Pat PMH three, two, four on Twitter says, I'm sure you've addressed it plenty, but I'm curious the last time that the catching position was this loaded overall about four in the top 20 and eight in the top 50 seems unprecedented. Um, yeah, it, it is. I think we can say it is, it is statistically unprecedented. If we look back at, uh, the catching position represented on the top 100 or top 50 list, uh, going back prior to 2012, when it was just a top 50 list on MLB.com, um, there are more catchers on the current top 100 list than there have ever been um, in total, 12 in the top 100 uh, in the mid-season 2021 list. And by percentage, that is uh, higher than any list with the exception of the 2011 uh, preseason list, which was a top 50. Uh, So you have to go all the way back to 2011 to find one where you had even the same percentage of catchers represented. Um, but yeah, Jim, Jonathan, there's certainly uh, just a load of catching prospect talent these days. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it is, it is really interesting and, you know, it, it's been trending up of late. And you mentioned the 12 during the mid season, but you know, even just looking at the preseason the last couple of years, there, there have been more catchers. Um, you know, it was nine preseason a year ago, 
10 in 2020 and we had 11 in 2019. So it's really, it's not just suddenly now, but having that many up high is really kind of crazy. Um, we've never had that many in the top 20 and, you know, Jim, uh, hinted at Gabriel Moreno making a, a big jump up. So, you know, that that's going to continue. Um, I, you know, I don't have any explanation for it um, other than, you know, teams, uh, you know, I think a lot of these things are, are cyclical, but uh, trying to find and develop your, your own catching from within, cause it's just hard to, hard to find, uh, you know, and they're, they're doing a better job of that of late. Um, but it is, it is fun to see how many, guys there are not only like that are high but also have like really good defensive skills you know it's not oh these guys have unbelievably special bats which they do Adley Rushman if he were playing another position would still rank really really highly because of his ability to hit and hit you know with power but add in the fact that he's a special defender uh makes him all the more interesting and there are there are more guys like that than I can remember yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely <clears throat> cyclical. Um, you know, our new in-progress list will have a very similar number of catchers. I think we'll have 12 or 13 on it when all is said and done. Um, three in the top 10 and, and six in the upper third of the list, roughly, is what we're looking at right now as we continue to, to, to play with a little bit. And like To me, the most analogous year it actually predates the MLB top 100s. When, you, when MLB was doing top 50s and I was at Baseball America back in 2010, we had 12 catchers on the top 100 going into the year, including three in the top 10. But <laughs> I'm going to read the names here, and they don't they don't stack up that great. History's not been kind to a lot of these guys. Uh, the three who were in the top 10 were uh, Jesus Montero at number four in the pre-ice cream sandwich era, Jesus Montero. Um, Buster Posey at number seven and Carlos Santana at number 10. And then most of the other guys were in the bottom of, toward the bottom of the list, but this is not exactly a murderer's row of catchers, but we have Derek Norris, Jason Castro, Wilson Ramos, Tyler Flowers, Tony Sanchez, Travis Darno, Adam Moore, Hank Conger, Austin Romine. I mean, I guess there's some some good ones in there, but I, I don't think we've seen this kind of depth of quality catching talent, you know, probably since that that 2010 group. Yeah, statistically speaking, um, catchers over the past nearly 20 years of us putting out these lists have uh, accounted for on average 6% uh, of the players on the top 50 or top 100 list. So you're looking at six on any given top 100 prospect list or an average of three in the top fifties. And like we said, 12 on the 2021 mid season list and projecting around that many for the upcoming 2022 list as well. All right. Thanks very much for those questions. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll answer a few more, uh, some club-specific questions. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. We are answering questions from our listeners slash readers on this week's episode of the Pipeline Podcast. We've answered five, six, got a few more to go. Uh, These are all team-specific in nature, so we group these together. And we'll start off with a question about the Cubbies. Uh, This comes from Jonathan Lee, Twitter handle at Educator23. Do you think any of the prospects the Cubs obtained in the 2021 fire sale will become all-stars? Jim, that's your team. What's your answer? I, I would I would set the un, over-under, and this might be a little optimistic, but, but I'd set the over-under at one and a half. I've got three candidates stretching the definition of prospect to include guy who's not really established as a full-fledged big leaguer. I, I think Nick Madrigal has... The potential he's not on the top 30 right now because he's graduated to be an all-star. I still honestly don't know exactly what to make of him. I know he's going to hit for high batting average. I'm not clear what else he's going to bring to the table at a above average big league level, but I, I think he's got the potential. And then, and then the two guys who are still prospects, who I think have that, that, that upside are, are Pete Crow Armstrong, who they got from the Mets in the Javi Baez trade. He's yet to play for the Cubs because he tore in the labrum in his non-throwing shoulder uh, on a slide uh, before the trade, so he didn't play afterwards. I remember talking to one executive um, around the trade deadline, and he said he thought that was the worst trade the team had made was the Mets giving up uh, Pete Crow Armstrong to get Javier Baez and, and Trevor Williams. He, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong, first-round pick in 2020, at one point was – as highly regarded as any high school player in that class, his, his star dimmed a little bit, but he still went in the first round, but he can really hit for average, really play center field and run. So I think he's got that upside. And then the, the other guy who I'd keep an eye on is Kevin Alcantara, uh, who they got from the Yankees in the Anthony Rizzo trade. And he's super interesting. And we just haven't been able to see him play very much. He was, he had one of the highest ceilings in the 2018 international class, but between being a young international guy and, you know, COVID canceling the 2020 season, he's only played 75 pro games since signing in 2018, none of them above rookie ball. So he's, he's really unproven, but it's a huge ceiling. He's, he's six, six, he's, he's still adding strength. He's, he's probably 200 or so pounds right now. He's got well above average, you know, power potential, plus runner, strong arm, can play center field, high baseball IQ. You know, you can really dream on this guy. So I think those are are your three candidates if you stretch the definition to include Nick Madrigal. Interesting. Um, you know, the first one you said one and a half. I thought you were taking a shot at Nick Madrigal's height. <laughs> no, 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 I was not. Uh, I've, I've been through the harassment training, Jonathan, and uh, <laughs> I would not do such a thing. Um, what about um, what about Alexander Canario? Maybe, uh, you know, I, I like Canario and I had him with the Giants. Um, you know, I think there's power and arm strength there. I, 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 you know, if we're being picky, I wonder a little bit about the hitability after he mm-hmm. hit 230 last year. And it was, and he's he always had kind of a high strikeout to walk ratio. I mean, you know, I, I think a guy who, if you want to throw another one on there, Caleb Killian. Come on. Well, I was going to say Caleb Killian, yeah. who we, you know, outside of his introduction to the Arizona Fall League, was one of the pitchers there. And he's not like, a super sexy guy, but he throws strikes with a bunch of pitches. He led the minors in strikeout to walk ratio. He, he'd be a candidate as well. Yeah, a couple of those guys there, 
Jim, to me, um, some of the bigger question marks, guys that for me personally, I'm really excited to see, uh, specifically Pete Crow Armstrong, a, a guy who we've seen play all of six games um, for a 2020 draftee, just very little uh, opportunity to see him so far and, and Alcantara as well. Uh, you mentioned has played very little, 75 games um, and only 34 last year. So only 34 games played since 2019 when he played 41 games. So a couple guys that uh, I would imagine Cubs fans are extremely excited to see. And Alcantara was so young when he signed, like he turned 16 right after the July 2 deadline in 2018, you know, and he had to wait till his birthday to sign. He's still, I mean, he's, so he signed in 2018 and he won't be 20 until mid-July this year. Um, so it's not, I mean, he still has youth on his side. But, I mean, when you talk to scouts about him, like, they, they you know, they, they speak almost reverentially of what this guy could become. We just, at this point, we would have expected to see him play a couple hundred games and probably got into full season ball last year. But, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see that in 2022. A six-foot-six guy with a 60-run tool. I would imagine we don't have too many of those. No. All right. Next question. This one pertaining to the Mariners, which makes sense because it comes from the Twitter handle at Mariners Lifer, which is Chris O'Day. Chris asks, how much does Harry Ford's ability to play multiple positions increase his future value as a prospect? Is he a Mariners Lifer without the chance of parole, you think? Anyway, Jonathan, I'm just asking the question. Um, I do the Mariners and, you know, it's, it's interesting that you know, Jim and I have, I think we've talked about this before that when we go through the process of writing guys up, you know, for a new list, sometimes you write a guy and you're like, wow, I don't, I don't like this guy as much as I thought. And then sometimes you write up a guy like, and, he, and you get more excited um, and obviously Harry Ford was a, a first round pick. So we think he's very good, but I got, I got more excited writing him up, um, you know, getting some information, uh, about how he wowed, uh, uh, the Mariners general manager in a, in a workout, uh, you know, and things like that. So I'm very high on, on Harry Ford. I think in a general sense, his athleticism increases his future value as a prospect his ability to play multiple positions, he's not going to play multiple positions right out of the gate. You're not going to see him catching and playing center field or second base, you know, during, during this first full season, you'll see him catch, you'll probably see him DH some, so he can get some, some at bats when he's not catching, but they are intent on developing as a catcher. They think he really can, can stick back there. He's got a lot of, of good skills in terms of, raw tools and the sort of intangibles in terms of leadership that you'd like as a backstop where the value comes in is that if he were limited to one position and he struggled at that position defensively, then you don't know what to do. You know, if after a year he's playing very well, the catching is taking a little bit longer to, to catch up in terms of the, the, pro game and the speed of the game, then you know that you can move him and he has the chance to be an elite level offensive performer at a number of different positions. Uh, you know, I think it's, 
sort of like Will Myers, you know, when he was with the, the, the Royals as a prospect, he caught for, for a full season and it wasn't terrible. Like, I still think that that could have worked. They just decided they didn't want to have that slow down the bat. I think the Mariners could end up deciding to do that with Harry Ford. Um, but they have every intent on having him catch, but I think that's where the, 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 the athleticism and flexibility comes into play. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, his athleticism and versatility makes him an exciting prospect, but I don't see it necessarily enhancing his value as this, you know, multi-position guy. You're either going to keep him a catcher and his athleticism is going to help him behind the plate, or you're going to decide, you know, like, you know, hey, we really like the bat, you know, kind of like a Craig Biggio type of deal, really like the bat and we want to get even more out of it and have him in the lineup more. So we move him to, a, to another position. I mean, the, the versatility in playing multiple positions only really adds to his value in the long run. If he isn't as good as we think and he's more of a backup type and then, you know, he can he can he can nail down a number of spots. But uh, his athleticism, very uncommon for a catcher. And it, and that does increase his ability. But like Jonathan said, it's not like they're going to dabble and have him play four positions. It's more that's just more of a, a, a backup plan. All right. And our final question for the day comes from Dan at Fan Dan 1969. When Bosox drafted York. Everyone said overvalued, but he appears to have proved them wrong. Any chance Jackson Merrill is in the same mold or a clear overreach by Preller? So <laughs> Clear overreach by Preller. No. <laughs> End of um, podcast. <laughs> like, like we, we, we it, it's funny too, because it's, I mean, I think, you know, obviously Potter's fan, he wants to know about Jackson Merrill. The, the point he made about Nick York there, you know, Nick York is now a top 100 prospect, um, shows that sometimes guys can fly under the radar and be better than the consensus. So I, I don't think I would crush poor Jackson Merrill. Like, like I, I do think he has the potential to, to make that kind of rise. I mean, he came into pro ball, he hit 280. Um, Jonathan, you know, he was in your neck of the, of the draft. He was a guy who, who had helium as the draft approached. Um, and he can really, really hit. Um, and I think the guys who can really, really hit tend to tend to do pretty well if, if he lives up to his reputation. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of question as to the power. Um, he's not the fastest guy, so maybe he doesn't stay it short. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a guy, you know, maybe this guy winds up being a, an offensive second baseman. And I think the other thing to remember, too, is, you know, if you're, you know, trying to be if, if you're pessimistic about this from a Padres standpoint, like, oh, man, like Jackson Merrill, you know, they, they saved money on Jackson Merrill and used that money to sign James Wood, who, again, Jonathan was another one of your draft guys who had a bit of a rough spring, but also had one of the highest ceilings in the entire draft, had a tremendous Arizona Complex League season. And I know there are people with the Padres who think that James Wood is their second best prospect behind C.J. Abrams right now. Um, so even if Jackson Merrill doesn't become Nick York or future you know, big league star or whatever, drafting Jackson Merrill enabled them to sign James Wood, and James Wood could be very, very good. No, it's true. You have to you have to consider the 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 entire draft, and uh, they're going to get to develop together, Merrill and Wood. So I, I think it's going to be fun to watch them. Yeah, Merrill was one of these guys, you know, in the draft. I remember his name started popping up. Uh, you know, he's from Maryland, which is not exactly. Uh, there's not been a ton of high school guys uh, taken from from Maryland of late. Uh, so he really jumped. He hadn't 
haven't seen that much over the summer. He wasn't a big showcase guy, but there were, there were guys who thought that he was one of the best high school hitters in, in the draft class, um, you know, which surprised me. Uh, and he's got a chance to play short. I think, he's, you know, you send him out as a shortstop and see what happens. And like you said, if he moves to second, so be it. And then he has a chance to be a very good second baseman. And he's got good, you know, he's good, good actions and he's got good hands. The, the range might, uh, might end up falling short a little bit, but, uh, I think for the Padres to see what Maryland would do together as they move up is really going to be kind of a fun thing to watch. And as, as far as stretches go, Merrill, not really nearly the stretch that, that York was just based on the fact that we had Merrill at number 79 in our top 200 draft prospects list was taken at number 27. York, meanwhile, was number 139 on the top 200 list and uh, went number 17 overall. And we all remember Jim's shock at that pick. Uh, I thought Jason was messing with me. Although, you know, the, the difference too there is you know, we heard, you heard this too, John. I mean, I had a bunch of guys running in to see Merrill last May. Well, you couldn't run in to see Nick York in May of his senior season because of the shutdown. So um, I, I do think perhaps had there been a full season, Nick York might have ranked higher. Um, and and, and there, there was a difference. I mean, I, I do think, like you, you, you also said, the other difference, Jason, was Merrill, maybe not, you know, I don't know that every team would have necessarily taken him in the first round, although there, there was a strategic element to it too. But Merrill was on everybody's radar. Nick York was just very hard to see because he'd been hurt the year before too. There were a number of teams that just flat out didn't see Nick York. Right. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Thanks to everyone for all of your questions. We always appreciate them. Glad we got to knock out a bunch of them in one fell swoop today. Don't forget to subscribe to MLB Pipeline Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.